If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. I used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day Finally made a friend of time Now you could say that I'm Aging gratefully Mm -hmm. Aging gratefully Broadcasting from the rolling hills of the beautiful Tennessee Valley from the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains. Across this amazing nation and spanning the universe, you're listening to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, bringing you exceptional guests and novel information to ensure you age great, live full, and embrace each extraordinary day for the incredible gift it is. We broadcast on all your favorite players brought to you all over the world. Greetings, aging rebels far and wide. I hope you're doing amazing and life is treating you well. Thank you for joining the show today. We so appreciate it and you for spending one of your 168 hours a week with us. It makes me smile and you know what that means, right? Time to strike our signature pose, our smiles across the miles, aging gratefully, grin fest, smiling, spandemic. That is our on-demand self-care that is shareable. So. Smile at someone else and make their day a little brighter too. Have you noticed that no matter what kind of mood you're in, what kind of day you're having, that when someone else smiles at you, even if it's a passerby and they smile kindly at you, that you almost cannot help but turn that frown right side up and join them in the smile. They're truly contagious. And suddenly it's like you've been beamed out of your former state of mind and uplifted a bit simply from that smile shared. Smile more, aging rebels, worry less. That's a great way to enjoy life. And speaking of life, how would you respond, aging rebels, if someone asked you, what's your story? No, I mean, really, what's your story? Would it be trivialized and glossed over like, oh, well, I'm just kind of enjoying life, taking each day one at a time. I'm a pretty pretty easygoing person, actually. More, they prompt you. Oh, well, okay, I've had a good life. Can't complain much. If I did, it wouldn't matter anyway, right? Well, do you mean the complaining wouldn't matter or the fact that complaining wouldn't change your life? They replied. You pause. Both, I guessed. You resound. They continue. So you're a positive person. More glass half full, light perspective. You immediately reply. Well, actually, I wouldn't consider myself seeing it that way. 
Surprise, they press. No? Well, then are you a glass half empty person? How do you see it? Neither, you reply. I don't see life either, glass half empty or glass half full, as the infamous metaphor goes. You continue. I see it as gratitude for the glass and its ability to contain life-sustaining fluid I can enjoy. I don't measure its quantity. I'm grateful for what is, that it is, because why should the glass be filled to a certain amount for me to appreciate it? Whoa. And then bingo. So much insight in just so little, or even a transparent glass providing transparency. Now that life story is becoming as crystal clear as that glass. Grateful approach to life and living, non-judgmental, appreciative, independent thinker, at times philosophical, leader of innovative thought, curious mindset, inspiring, uplifting, happy to be in life. In this situation, that would be some great details to weave into your story because they'd be, oh, so you. But we practically had to do a swift autopsy on this simple question to begin to even find some answers of depth. Because when we ask the question, we often find the answers are difficult to spring forth. And yet, if we continue, this conversation may yield even more you-ness. That's an interesting philosophy. I'm sure seeing life through that lens has helped you throughout the years. Anything in particular come to mind? How much time do we have? You jokingly query. And then the two of you take a walk down memory lane, that is, as your mind's cognitive movie reel shares almost like an on auto playback mode, how you have met life time and time again with your come what may approach, and yet how you have been tested, challenged, and prevailed with resilience, grit, and grace. How you never took on the outlook of a pessimist, but instead always rode the wings of gratitude to see you through each circumstance you faced, even at life's most difficult times. And in those stories that revealed the essence of you, your life story was told without you even really knowing it by you because you lived it so only you could tell it and recapture it so passionately and genuinely. Which brings us to this week's Aging Gratefully Alphabet Soup for the Psyche. When writing your life story, don't let anyone else hold the pen, end quote. And our show dedication this week is to the word story. It's a noun, and it means an account of imaginary or real people and events told for entertainment, like we just did, as well as an account of past events in someone's life or in the evolution of something. We've talked about storytelling on this show many times, Aging Rebels, multiple times in a variety of ways, from memoirs to micro-memoirs to sharing it with your loved ones and a means to create and hand down a beautiful legacy of your life so meaningful, but more so not just meaningful, but filled with meaning. As we mine the essence of you, we discover the quarry is full of gems that are treasures worth sharing. But our story can also come in the way of an obituary. We've talked about this too on the show, as you've been prompted to complete this task for your survivors to save them from this burden of responsibility that often comes at the worst of times for free-flowing thought and creative focus to honor your life story for its uniqueness and distinctive signature cast upon the world. Because in the end, it is truly yours. 
So why should it be written by none other than yours truly? Today's guest would agree. James R. Haggerty, the lead obituary writer for the Wall Street Journal, has a message for you. Someday, the story of your life will be written. What sort of picture will it leave for friends and family members, including those not yet born? He has written a book, yours truly, just published, to help you make sure you preserve your best stories. He believes they may just be the best gift you ever give to your family and friends. Over the past four decades, he has worked as a reporter, editor, and bureau chief for the Wall Street Journal and the International Herald Tribune in Hong Kong, London, Brussels, Paris, Atlanta, and New York. He holds a degree in economics from the University of North Dakota. It is with great pleasure, so excited to welcome you, James Haggerty, to the Aging Gratefully Show. So happy you're with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I absolutely agree with you, especially when you said, that, you know, it's your story and only you can tell it properly because you lived it. Yes. Uh, so we are definitely kindred spirit here because we absolutely love that you've created this amazing book, um, Yours Truly, an Obituary Writer's Guide to Telling Your Life Story. And I invite listeners to also find more about this at wwwyours truly dot james com. so i just i love that you have given readers a prompt kind of a gentle nudge into why this is so important and really help them along with this journey of telling their story yeah thank you uh i think that the word obituary is part of the problem um i've been writing obituaries almost full-time for six years now. And when people find out what I do, they often say to me, oh, you know, I really like reading obituaries. It's kind of morbid, but I said, no, you know, there's nothing morbid about it. An obituary is not about death. It's about life. And death is only the pretext for telling that life story. But I wish people would just think about it as writing their life story or recording it. Uh, and don't think of it as a major chore but it's something that's pretty doable. Uh, and it's really important to do because after you're gone, your friends and family, they will want your, your memory to be preserved very badly. I can tell because I talk to them all the time, but they often know very little about the story. They know the general outlines, but they don't really know the whys and the hows, the things that are really interesting and important. Yes. And I think that, we think that we know people, but when it gets down to the details of something like that, we are very pressed to actually know the specific little nuances of someone's life. And so I do think it's important that we get in the driver's seat of our own life to be able to tell this story ourselves. Yeah. Every every week I'll have a conversation with somebody's son or daughter, and I'll say, oh, this is interesting. You know, your mom majored in political science, but then she became a dentist. Uh why did she want to be a dentist? I say, you know, that's a good question. I never asked her that. Um, to me, it's the one of the most interesting things about a life story is how you got on a particular path and why. And then what were the obstacles you ran into and how did you get past all of those? Yes. You write, quote, in my case, writing obituaries has reinforced a belief that successful people 
tend to be optimists, not in the sense of deluding them themselves into believing that all is for the best in this world, but in a sense of feeling confident that they can find ways to cope and thrive in almost any situation and that the world will somehow go on, at least in their lifetimes, despite evidence to the contrary. Yeah, that is one thing that has struck me. Uh, and I usually write about people who were successful in some way. I usually write about business people. And over and over, I hear people say, you know, he was so optimistic. You know, he always believed that he could do it. Or he'd find a way. Um, and it's it's probably pretty obvious that that's an important quality for success. But I think we don't always think about that. Um, and uh, it's one of the many things you learn from reading obituaries. Yes. And I do think that there is this lore to read the obituaries to kind of almost a reverence, a respect for someone's life and an honoring. This this is the final, this is the final story that is published after we pass. Yeah, for most people, that is going to be the record you leave. I mean, if you're famous, people may have written books about you and written all kinds of things about you. Much are probably wrong. Uh, but if you're an ordinary person, um, that's the record that's going to remain. And usually uh, it is written in haste by your friends and family. And they get, you know, they put down the very basics, uh, you know, your name and when, when you were born and uh, where you went to school and maybe what your job was. But they don't explain why you did anything or how you did anything or what you thought about it all. And that's yes. what would be really valuable for people in the future to know. Yes, I so agree. So you wrote a lot of obituaries. Uh, you've lived a large career uh, writing in various countries and uh, doing what you do. What gave you the inspiration to finally write this book? Well, uh, people started asking me about my job. And uh, one of my colleagues at the Wall Street Journal, I, I mentioned, well, let me go backwards. Uh, I am always telling people now, once I started this job, I'm telling people, please write it down. Because, you know, when I talk to your kids, they don't know. Uh, and so at one point, I decided, well, I'm going to start writing down my own story, <clears throat> you know, since I'm telling everybody else to do this. And I started writing that. Um, a little bit at a time, a little bit each week. And I mentioned it to a colleague uh, at the Wall Street Journal. And he said, oh, this would be a great story for us. An obituary writer writes his own. So I wrote a story in the Wall Street Journal about that process a few years ago. And that sparked off some conversations with people saying, why don't you write a book about this? Awesome. Yes. And so a lot of my work is specializing in uh, end-of-life consulting. And so I've done workshops as I have a, you know, a program where I walk people through their end of life planning initiatives, mm -hmm. multiple tasks. I will say that in the workshop, when we have gotten to this topic, mm -hmm. there has been almost every time one person say, I do not want to do this. This mm -hmm. is not something that I want to do. I want to leave this to my friends and family. And I do try and, and everybody else in the group is usually like, you know, no, um, I, I'm definitely I want to get this done for them. There was a sense in every single situation of vanity for that individual. Yeah, you know, there are some people who don't want to do it. Uh, there are people who don't like thinking about the past and not interested in history and not especially not their own. 
most people do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking recently to a psychological researcher who's done, spent his life uh, studying how people tell stories about themselves. And he, he said that usually this gives people a, a boost in their mood. They feel better. It can even improve their health. Mm-hmm. You go back and talk their way through things that happened. Uh, but some people just do not want to do it. Um, I think in those cases, they should just not do it then. Uh, mm-hmm. But most people, I think, will see the point of it. A lot of people will resolve to do it, mm-hmm. uh, but then never get around to it. Uh, so that's one reason I try to encourage people to start early and to do it in uh, little chunks rather than trying to write their whole life story uh, all at once, uh, because a little bit is way better than nothing. And you'll do a better job if you do it in small pieces than if you try to really strain yourself and and tell everything. Yes. And I think that I even found it perplexing. And I wonder if the people that you know, rare, every time, very rare, felt that way, you know, death is so stigmatized. Maybe they just don't want to be that close to that. You know what I mean? Like writing your obituary is, can feel very heavy for some people. And um, that might be some of the pushback. And in fact, you do say when you get started, the expression of self and the ability to go back and rewind through time and bring this story of yours to life is a beautiful outlet for people to actually partake in. Right. And don't think of it as your obituary. Just think I'm I'm going to write about my life uh, and it's going to be good for the future probably, but it's also going to help me here and now. Uh, it's going to help me make sense of my life, help me figure out some things about myself. Um, and it's, it's also a sort of a way of checking up on yourself because you should be asking, uh, what am I trying to do with my life? And why? And then how is it working out? Uh, If you ask these questions and think about them, it's a good reality check for you. And you can see, well, maybe you're not really doing the things that you wanted to do to get to where you want to be. And uh, this is a way for you to uh, maybe mend some of your ways. uh, And it's never too late to improve the narrative. Yes. And you talk about that in the book, mm-hmm. that this is a great time for self-inventory and reflection. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So some obituaries that we read, of course, you know, sad for the life that is no longer more, but some of the best ones really make us laugh and smile. And even if we didn't know that person, we do feel like mm-hmm. we now do. Definitely. Yeah. I always like to have some humor in an obituary. Uh, If you go to a funeral, you'll notice that the most beautiful and bearable moments of the service are when there's a eulogy and somebody brings up some of the stranger habits or sayings or doings of the deceased and everybody laughs and they remember that. And it it just is a way of releasing some of the pain and, and feeling what it was like to be around that person. Humor, I think, really tells a lot about your personality. Yes. And you talk about weaving that unique Eunice, you unique Eunice mm-hmm. into your story. If there was this funny thing that you always did um, mm-hmm. that was unusual, mm-hmm. that makes the cut for the story. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I love that. So what do you feel 
you would say to somebody that is going to begin this task? We do encourage aging rebels to do this and they lack inspiration. What would you say to get those creative juices flowing and to help them once they get that pen in their hands, move through this exercise? Yeah. Well, one thing I would recommend is reading obituaries uh, in the Wall Street Journal, in the New York Times, uh, wherever you find interesting obituaries, but also memoirs and biographies. And you get the feeling for how to describe events and what's what's really important, what's interesting. Uh, I think another thing to do is talk to your friends or your children, family members, and Ask them, you know, what they would like to know about you. You know, what don't you understand about me? Uh, and ha- think about that and, and have that conversation. Yes, I think that's so important. And what do you say to people that are like, I'm not, I, I'm not a writer. I don't even like writing. Right. That's a lot of people. <laughs> uh, I say, for one thing, you know, you don't worry too much about the writing. It, it Nobody's going to be upset if you make a grammatical error or if you're, you know, it's not in high literary style. Just use your own voice and put it down. Uh, if you're really worried about having it be polished, you know, find a writer who can help you edit it maybe. But I wouldn't worry too much about that. And if you don't want to write at all, you can record. Uh, the the uh, thing I would say about recording is if you do that, try to make sure you get a transcript of the recording because people will leave a recording somewhere, but then it gets lost, you know, technology changes and nobody ever finds it. So find a way to get it on paper and maybe save it in six different digital ways and make sure people know where it is. Also, uh, when you have that transcript, go through it carefully and try to add in explanations. Lots of people will, it's like when you have a conversation with somebody you know very well, you talk in shorthand. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm talking to my mom and I say, you know, well, why did you go to USD? Well, we know that uh, that means University of South Dakota, but other people are not going to know that. So somebody has to go through there and think about, you know, what what is going to make sense here to uh, people 20 years from now and what is not? And how, how can we explain that better? Yes, Definitely important story tactics there because we do kind of make assumptions about somebody filling in the blanks of our life as we're Mm -hmm. talking to them. And so uh, we need to make sure that this is kind of a legacy. So we may not be here to fill in those gaps. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was hoping on the other side of break, I imagine that you have learned a lot about life by writing obituaries for those who no longer are more. Uh, So I'm wondering if on the other side of break, if you could share a little bit of that wisdom with us, if you'd be willing. Okay, I'll try. (laughs) Great. Don't go anywhere because this fantastic conversation will continue today. We're grateful to be with James R. Haggerty talking all things, your life story and giving you some inspirational direction and tools to do that in his book, Yours Truly, An Obituary Writer's Guide to telling your story. You can learn more about him by visiting him at www.yours-truly.jamesrhaggerty.com. And we just so appreciate you listening to the show, Aging Rebels. For those of you that have not yet downloaded our Aging Gratefully theme song, I invite you to do that. It's Aging Gratefully. I know you love it. Uh, It's by singer-songwriter, world-renowned musician, Jim Biloff. 
and just go to iTunes or Amazon Music and download, just download the entire album. You'll find that song in his album, Dreams I Left in Pockets. And of course, my favorite is always going to be Aging Gratefully, but every song in there is simply amazing. Special thanks to you, Aging Rebels, tuning in all over the world. I really just love seeing all these different countries that we're charting in. We so appreciate you sharing the show with your friends and family and are just grateful for you finding meaning in our eclectic messages that we bring you. And I haven't told you since our last episode that you rock and you role model, and I'm truly grateful for each of you. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, and we'll be right back. Hi, my name's Brendan Watt, and I am author of a book called Relationship. Are you sure you want one? This is definitely a different look on relationship. I have just been on the Aging Gratefully show with Holly Kelly, and oh my God, what a gift, what a show. Uh, I'm grateful, and hey, if you could make some different choices today in your life, what would that be like? The Ladder Life Planning Institute is the ultimate guidance for life's inevitable destiny and your path to passionate aging and inspirational advanced care planning. LLPI offers tools that educate, inspire, and enlighten. Live vibrantly, plan thoughtfully, age dynamically. Visit LLPI for business and individual consulting services. Professional and keynote speaking, books, workshops, education, webinars, and resources. LLPI is here to transform your ladder life living today. Visit them at ladderlifeplanninginstitute.com. Live extraordinary, age dynamically. Visit ladderlifeplanninginstitute.com. Hi, I'm actor Chris Toomey from Nashville, Tennessee, and I hope you're enjoying today's Aging Gratefully show as much as I am with the awesome gerontologist, Holly Kelly. Thank you so much, best listeners in the world. Welcome back to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, Kelly here today with Bob Haggerty. You go by Bob. Yeah, my name, my byline is James R. Haggerty. Most people call me Bob. Most people call you Bob, who promotes telling your story versus leaving it to someone else to try to do that for you. So we definitely want to make sure that we're on board and do this. Uh, Actually, it's not, don't think of it as a task, Aging Rebels. This is something that really is an enjoyable activity for you to do. And it will bring some things to life that I think you'll be surprised show up. Before we resume this conversation, I do want to give our listener appreciation shout out to an Apple listener who gave us five stars and wrote, Kelly's interviews are always so thoughtful and well-researched. I love every new episode that comes out. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to leave those reviews and finding meaning in our messages. And you know what else we appreciate? Today's guest, he's amazing, James R. Haggerty, and he has written this amazing book, Yours Truly, an Obituary Writer's Guide to Telling Your Life Story, that we're having too much fun talking about. And so I invite you to visit him at yours-truly.jamesrhaggerty.com. That's um, his website where you can learn more about his work. And of course, you can order the book through there as well. So anyway, I imagine that you've learned a thing or two along life's way about 
having to be close to so many people that have lost so much and their time of grief and everything, what has it taught you about living? Well, I mean, one thing that's taught me is that uh, when somebody dies, uh, people really want to talk about that person. You know, I, I often am writing about people who are prominent business and I, I call a company, I call the PR person and they say, and I say, you know, I'd like to speak to the family. And they say, well, Mr. Haggerty, you understand they're grieving as if I don't know this. Uh, and I say, yeah, I know they are grieving, uh, but I find in about 95% of cases, they still want to talk to me. And in fact, they seem to enjoy talking to me and find it therapeutic. People sometimes talk to me for more than an hour. Uh, and there are tears and there's laughter and you become amazingly close to person sometimes in a, a very short time. Uh, but people do want to talk about it. I always used to think if, you know, if somebody had lost somebody, uh, that I shouldn't mention that the next time I were together. You know, I think, well, you know, they don't want to think about that. They've just, they would like to think about other things. But now I realize that maybe that's the very thing they do want to talk about. This person they have lost, mm -hmm. uh, all the things they miss, all the things they remember. So, and I'm sure not everybody is like that, but many people are. So I think that's important to keep in mind that people want to share that story and they can share it a lot better if you've left some uh, material for them. Oh, so true. So do you have this pinnacle obituary that was the most difficult ever to write? Yeah, they're all pretty difficult. And I think I've written probably over a thousand uh, and they all kind of get lumped together in my head. But one that uh, I often think about is a woman named Iris Westman, uh, who I happened to meet uh, on one of my trips home to North Dakota. Uh, and she didn't really sound like a candidate for an obituary in the Wall Street Journal at all. Uh, she grew up in rural North Dakota and taught school. And then she worked as a, a librarian she never lived very far away from her birthplace. Uh, she never married or had children. Uh, it sounded pretty uneventful. Uh, and you'd have to wonder, well, what could we say about her life? Uh, well, for one thing, she lived to be 115. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. Wow. Um, and, you know, when I met her, I think she was 111. And she was living in a very nice nursing home in a small town in North Dakota. And what really impressed me about her was that she was not sitting around watching cable TV news like so many old, old people. You know, what could be more depressing than to sit there watching people shout at you about every new crisis in the world? And if there is no, no new crisis, I'll invent one for you. Uh, no, that's not what Iris did. Uh, she couldn't really read anymore because her eyes had gone bad, but she enjoyed listening to books. So she'd order books on tape and she'd sit there and listen to them. And uh, sometimes she'd just look out the window. Uh, you know, she said to me, uh, I can be quite content uh, just looking outside the window and seeing nothing. Um, and, you know, I, I asked her a little bit about uh, current events. Uh, Donald Trump had just started running for president. I asked him what she thought of Donald Trump. And she said, well, I've heard of him, but I didn't really know what to say one way or the other about him. But she was very happy to talk about President Harding. Um, and uh, she she told me that uh, she remembered having a, a soft spot for him, and he was awfully good looking. Uh, and she told me about what Christmas was like back in 1920, 
when they have lighted candles on the trees and they get one gift every year. And she told me about her life as a teacher and a librarian. And she said that teenagers got to be a little bit difficult to deal with uh, and she didn't want to fight them. So she decided to stay in an elementary school. And she said, which means I'm a coward. Uh, and I asked her, well, did you ever get close to getting married? And she said, well, a couple of times, but I think it was very well that I didn't. Uh, she told me about the trips she'd taken and her, her cat and many other things. Um, and when she died, I asked my, uh, my editor if I could write about her, even though she wasn't a business person, she was not famous at all. Um, and I was given permission. And this was about one of the most popular maybe the most popular obituary I ever wrote. So it shows that uh, you don't have to have had a really eventful or dramatic life to have an interesting story to tell. Yes, that's so important because some people may actually feel like they don't have a story to tell or that they might write this and nobody will ever read the story. That's right. Uh, and But they probably will. And, you know, and they, maybe they, maybe nobody will read it. When I'm writing about my life, I often think, you know, I'm not really sure my kids are ever going to read this or anything. Uh, but then I think, well, you know, maybe they will. And if they if they want to, it'll be there. And I also think this is giving me some pleasure and some benefits just from thinking about these things and writing them down. So I'm just not going to worry about that. You know, when, when Samuel Pepys was writing his diary back in the... Uh, 16th century, he wasn't, uh, he probably couldn't have dreamed that, you know, 400 years later, people would still be reading about his life and talking about him. When Anne Frank was writing her diary, she would have never imagined that anybody would care about what she was scribbling down there. But you never know. So true. And I believe that every life holds reverence and every life is so full of just wisdom that can be passed down. The story mm -hmm. is important. And I feel that we've become a very fast paced society and we're losing some of those traditions of passing story down from generation to generation. So I do think that it's important for people to do this. Do you have any tips of what people should include in their stories? Well, I think what you should think about is not just explaining what you did, but why you did it and how you did it. So for instance, if you were, you're gonna write about how you got married, you know, you don't wanna just say, well, I met Mary in my second year of college and we got married uh, two years later. Uh, you'd wanna to try to explain, well, how did you meet Mary? And what was it about her that uh, you really liked? And, and how did you get to the point of deciding to get married? You know, and what were some of the problems you had to overcome before and after to get married and stay married? And the same thing for your work and for your hobbies, not just that you went like to, that you play golf, but why you play golf. And what were some of the interesting things happened that happened to you? You know, what, what about the time you hit five balls into the lake? You know, how did you respond to that? Uh, everything can be explored. You, you think about the important things in your life and then explain as best you can, why they happened, and what you thought about them. You don't have to include everything. There might be some things you want to leave out entirely. That's up to you. Uh, but include the important things. 
and try to include the things that you think your children or friends might really like to know or, or understand better. Yes, uh, definitely an important activity. I've, you know, certainly done this in the work that I do. Everybody in my family, you know, they're shored up on their obituaries. And my mother, my mother's begins, if you don't see me on the tennis courts today, now you know why. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. She's starting with some humor and yeah. she's telling us something about herself right away. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so she is um, an avid tennis player in her, in her eighties. And that is something that, you know, has brought her life a whole lot of joy. And I think how awesome she's keeping up with everybody on those courts. Uh So she'll do that as long as she possibly can. So when you embarked on the adventure of writing this book, who did you envision your readers being? I envisioned it being uh, of interest to, uh, I hope just about everybody. Um, I don't want it to be of interest only to people who are really old, although I don't think they should be interested too. But I think people should be thinking about this throughout life. Uh, what's your story and why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, so I thought it could it was something that you know could be of almost universal interest. Um, I fear that when people see obituary on the cover, they'll think, oh, this is something for old people or this is something that's uh, grim and morbid and, and dull. Uh, but I hope I can persuade people that obituaries don't have to be dull. It shouldn't be dull. They shouldn't be dull because our life isn't dull. And our life is, you know, vibrant, you know, 5D uh, color. And just, you know, it is filled with, I would say, ups and downs mm-hmm. and takeaways from each and every situation that we've overcome. Yeah, my motto is, uh, if an obituary can't be fun, what's the point of dying? Yes, that's good. Yeah. So I think that it's uh, wonderful that you've been able to bring so many people's life to light through the writing of the obituary. And I imagine the families really appreciate you shouldering that burden for them during their time of grief. I think most of them do. (laughs) Yeah, but yes. they're not always completely happy with what I write because I'm not writing a eulogy or a tribute. And I'll I'll include things that uh, went wrong. Uh, but I try to be fair to everybody and to explain things uh, as best I can. And, it, you know, I will I won't just include the bad things that happen. I'll include the good things that will for, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, when when you write about your life, you don't want to just necessarily gloss over everything that was bad. There might be some things you don't want to discuss, but uh, there are things you might want to try to explain to people and you want to show them how you can get over things that went wrong. You make you can get over the mistakes you made. Uh, you can get past the wrongs that other people did to you. Mm-hmm. That's an encouraging message for everybody. Uh, yes. Resilience and grit and overcoming life's obstacles, which are certain, right? Right. Yes. So is there anything else that you'd like listeners to know about this work that you've created, yours truly, an obituary writer's guide to telling your story? Uh, I think that I'd like them to know that it'd make a great gift for uh, anybody they know who has a story to tell. And uh, I, I, I hope they would find that it's an amusing and fun book. Did you have a favorite chapter? 
Oh, I don't know. I, you know, the, I liked a chapter about Iris, who was 115. I like a chapter about a blind woman I met who has traveled all over the world on her own and learned to sing folk songs in about 20 languages. Just listening to her talk about how she manages to travel to all these places on her own without the gift of sight. Uh, she had a great story to tell, and it, she, it was very inspiring. Wow. And I she's think... somebody nobody has ever heard of. Uh, and that's that shows you that uh, you don't have to be famous to have a good story. Yes, that's amazing. And um, in the end, inspirational to those we've left behind. Definitely. Yes. Well, uh, we really appreciate that you've brought this conversation, not just the book, but the conversation of obituary writing to the forefront uh, and reminding people that this is something important for them to do uh, to save their loved ones. This it would be a task to a loved one to have to uh, shoulder this burden. But when you do it yourself, it's actually enjoyable. It can be freeing. And I'm, I'm just glad that you're uh, helping people realize that this is something that they should be doing on their own. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So we can't have the episode end, of course, without knowing how do you age gratefully? Well, my uh, tactic so far has been to go back to being an 11-year-old boy by signing up for a senior softball league, uh, which is something that has rejuvenated me and has suddenly given me 140 new friends who I never would have met otherwise, who come from all kinds of walks of life and who I really care about now. You know, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about a lot of things. We just, we're out there having fun and we support each other. We understand you know, that everybody is kind of struggling to uh, keep enjoying a game, even though many people think we're too old for it. Oh, that's awesome. And so age is just a number of aging rebels. And um, I think that that's amazing that uh, you're tapping into that uh, child passion and you've rejuvenated it. So, and look, and look what's flourished. Definitely. Yeah. Amazing. So thank you so much for being our guest. We've really enjoyed it. And I invite listeners to check out your website, yours-truly.jamesrhaggerty.com. So thank you for spending the hour with us. We've enjoyed it and we wish you the very best moving forward. My pleasure. Thank you. You're very welcome. You've been listening to Aging Gratefully, and I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed our message, I invite you to subscribe and share it with others. May you remember to never act your age and that age is just a number. And may you enjoy and embrace the coming week in the spirit of gratitude. Until we meet again, here's to living your best life now. I used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day finally made a friend of time now you could say that i'm aging gratefully mm, aging gratefully <laughs>